why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on Earth? My purpose in life is to, um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. Intentar pasar por la vida de la manera más desapercibida posible. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life, I'd prefer to do more. Because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. What's up, everybody? I am so super excited to kick off this brand new series. But first, let me give a shout out to those of you who have joined us in our San Jose campus. Make some noise if you're in San Jose. And to the rest of you who are watching us from around the country and beyond vis-a-vis -vis all of the various social media platforms, I am so psyched that you guys are tuning in as we kick this series off. Now, our passage comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. We think it was more than likely King Solomon, the third king of Israel, that wrote this book of Ecclesiastes. He was noted for his wisdom, his wealth, and his power, presided over a huge time of peace. And uh, watch what he says here. It's a fascinating thing that he says here. Watch what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Can you say, really? We'll come back to this text in just a few moments. Listen, if somebody is sitting next to you in the San Jose campus or sitting next to you in your living room or wherever you're watching from, just turn to them and say, hey, do you know your purpose? <laughs> Let me begin by just thanking and welcoming, especially those of you who are first-time guests, perhaps uh, someone invited you to be a, uh, a, your family member or friend who's watching from our campus in San Jose or watching from online. I just want to welcome you to our Explore God series. Together with you, we're asking all about life's big questions. For the next three weeks, uh, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be asking these big questions. But let me just give you a preview of the next three weeks. Does life have a purpose? We'll deal with that today. Is there a God? That's next week. Why does God allow pain and suffering? And before this series is over, we're going to take up the subject of our own Christian faith. And we're going to ask the question, uh, is the Christian faith too narrow? So together with you, we are being curious. We're wondering. We're praying that God will show up in our weekly discussion groups, that God will show up in the weekly teaching that I'm going to do. And I, so I want to make this super clear. Whoever you are, whatever perspective uh, you may have, whether you are a person of faith or not, you are just so welcome to be a part of this journey with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now listen, one other thing that makes me so excited about this series, and it is simply this, uh, NBCC, we're not doing this alone. There are over 100 Bay Area churches. Actually, the number is close to around 100. I think it's 171 Bay Area churches and para-Christian organizations that are, uh, that are engaged in this Explore God effort. From as far north as Santa Rosa to as far south as Santa Cruz, we've got discussion groups, Explore God discussion groups that's happening on UC Berkeley campus and Stanford campus. It is exciting. And listen, 
Many of us pastors who are engaged in this, we're friends. Uh, we have real life relationships, if you will, depth of relationship. Many of us uh, know each other vis-a-vis -vis the organization Transforming the Bay with Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm blessed to be on that board and was one of the leaders that helped to kick this organization off 11 years ago. And so we are working together across race and denomination and neighborhood, determined to create a safe space for you to engage these tough questions. So my challenge to you is simply this, that you will join the discussion. Yes, that you will, number one, the easiest way is simply to form a group. Reach, share these questions with your family and with your friends and invite them to be a part of your group. My wife and I, we're facilitating two <laughs> Explore God discussion groups. And you know why? Because we invited a slew of folk and we are totally surprised by how many people said yes. I mean, totally tripped out. And so we're happy to do two. And both of these groups are virtual. So I'm telling you, if you ask folk, man, they want to process these questions, you can have your discussion group in the week and engage with us on a weekly basis in the teaching. Or you can simply join a group. So just go to our website. The link is on the, on the, on the screen. And um, you'll find all that you need to know in order to either form a group or join a group. Let me just tell you one other thing. One other thing that, our, that you should be aware of. Uh, the groups as well as this teaching, uh, the perspective that begins the dialogue will be the Christian perspective. But that is in anticipation that these groups will be full of a diversity of perspectives. So the Christian perspective will be in dialogue with all of the other perspectives in this group, right? And even the messages that I'm going to be teaching, obviously from a Christian perspective, I'm going to be making a Christian point, case for these questions. But my assumption is that this, these messages will be a part of the larger dialogue. No arm twisting, no manipulation, no trying to force anybody to believe anything. Let's just create some space for God to be God. All right? Okay, let's jump into today's teaching very quickly. So here's the question that we're going to be wrestling. What is the meaning and purpose for life? What is the meaning and purpose for your life? Do you know that 74% of people globally across borders and languages, on and on and on, they have said that they are thinking about the meaning and the purpose of life on a regular basis? As a matter of fact, the late Dallas Willard of a very note, noted uh, theologian and philosopher uh, who was at USC, here's what he says. He says, meaning is not a luxury for us. It is a kind of spiritual oxygen that enables our souls to live. So let me form the question for you this way. Why are you here? If somebody's sitting next to you, just turn to them and say, why are you here? Why are you here? First of all, why are you here? in this slice of history on planet Earth. You could have been born 400 years earlier. You could have been born 300 years in the future. You could have not been born at all. Why are you here? Why are you on the planet in this slice of history? Or think about it even more uh, closer. Why are you here? Why are you sitting 
are perhaps standing in the sanctuary uh, at our San Jose campus. Why are you, what was it that caused you to tune in to be a part of today's teaching? Why? Can you say why? Is it simply that, that, that your being here, wherever you are, come on, is simply a byproduct of, the, of random chance and chromosomes? It, is that the cause of your birth? Is that the source of this very moment? Might it be as simple as the fact that everything is just a coincidence? Could it be that you are where you are as a result of just a cosmic accident? Or is there something more? I know about a little something about wrestling with this notion about uh, feeling like perhaps you're a cosmic accident. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, you've been part of NBCC's community for quite some time, you know a little bit about my story. You know that my story gets kicked off with one accident after another. It was an accident that caused me as a six-month-old baby boy uh, to experience horrendous chemical burns in my head that left me terribly disfigured. It was an accident that caused some of those chemicals to spill into my eyes, damaging my eyes permanently. Those accidents landed me in the hospital for a year, and after repeated surgeries, uh, I ultimately came out to figure out that my parents had divorced, and I landed in my grand-aunt-uncle's home. I was born here in San Francisco, landed in Louisiana in the home of Reverend Clarence Berry and Ola Batcheberry, who informally adopted me. I can't tell you how tough it was growing up, terribly disfigured, being a special needs kid, uh, struggling with all kinds of you know, stuff, here's how I used to talk about it. I thought I was ugly, so I acted ugly. I thought I was uh, stupid, uh, so I did a lot of stupid stuff. I, I, I didn't think I was special, so I specialized in being the class clown, and I just got into trouble and trouble when I couldn't find any trouble. I made little trouble. And I can tell you, I remember tossing and turning on my bed from some nights growing up through tough times, kids, picking on me and being invisible, thinking, man, I think I'm just an accident. I wonder, am I talking to somebody today who, th there are some folk who feel like you're a cosmic accident and you're okay with that, but there's some others who are like, mm, I don't want to be an accident, but I think I'm an accident. That's where I was. So let me ask you this question. How do you find meaning for your life. Here's what I know. That where you start the search matters. Let me put it this way. The starting point matters. There are two places at the end of the day, when we work through all the philosophical and religious stuff, there are two starting points ultimately that we get to choose from. The first of those starting points is that we can start with ourselves. Can you say myself? We start with ourselves and we start with the world around us. And when we start with ourselves and the world around us, we usually begin with speculation and we move into what some folks simply call creating or inventing our own purposes. And I just want to hasten to say that to create and invent our own purposes has been the byproduct of a lot of great things happening in the world. So I'm not dogging that out. But the question is, at the end of the day, 
do we find ourselves standing where King Solomon was standing? To understand the passage that we have before us, you got to think about King Solomon as doing a deep dive. Rather than exploring God, he was exploring kind of the deep surfaces of life, looking for meaning and purpose. And after a long time diving, he comes back up to the surface of life and he grasps for air. And in frustration, he says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Can you say meaningless? Now, the word meaningless can be translated, the Hebrew beneath that word meaningless can be translated either as vapor, kind of like your breath, or empty. And he's really not suggesting that at the end of the day, uh, the better translation is he couldn't find lasting meaning. Now, when you think of vapor, you can think of breath uh, and you think about empty. Let me give you a, a way to kind of illustrate this. Have you ever tried to breathe and catch your breath? Well, if you haven't, let's give it a shot. <laughs> I want you to put your hand in front of you. Come on, trust me. Put your hand in front of you. And I, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to breathe and I want you to catch your breath. All right, here we go. One, two, three. <sighs> Do you have it? Let's try it again. One, two, three. <sighs> you see, for a moment you caught your breath. You could feel the warmth in your hands up against your fingers. But when you tried to hold on to it, it was gone. This is what Solomon is talking about in his deep exploration, trying to invent and create meaning along the way that he did find some meaning. But, but, but it felt like in a moment, it didn't last. Let's walk through scripture and just see some of the ways that he explored and sought to invent and create meaning and purpose for his life. In verse 17, here's what he says. He says, so listen, I set out to learn. Somebody shout learn, learn, think education here. Everything from wisdom to madness and folly. He was known as the wisest man ever to live. And he said, look, I want to get even smarter. And so think about reaching the highest height of education. And then here's how he concludes. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is kind of like chasing the wind. And I found myself asking, is this all there is? And then in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says this, I also tried to find meaning. Now, add in front of the word meaning, lasting. This is what he's referring to. I also tried to find lasting meaning by building huge homes. Sounds like Silicon Valley. Check this out. Building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. In other words, he says, I was looking for lasting meaning in achieving grand and great accomplishments and building a lasting legacy. But I found myself asking at the end of it all, is this all there is? Or could there be something more? He goes on to say, I amassed silver and gold for myself. I, I, I achieved the heights of wealth. 
And, 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 and yet it left me looking for something more. He says, listen, I heard wonderful singers, both men and women. This is entertainment. He says, listen, Las Vegas has nothing on me. I know how to entertain. Come on, I could party for weeks. Come on, I brought the best singers that there were. But it left me asking the question, is this all there is? And he said, listen, more than that, come on now, at the end of the day, beyond the, the, uh, uh, the entertainment that I, I, I had, I had all of the women a man could want. He means sex, sex, sex galore. I, I, if you can imagine it, and I, I experienced it, Solomon said. I was mad daddy in the bedroom. Yes, I was, Solomon says. <laughs> but it left me asking, is this all there is? And then finally, guys, I became great. I did it. I arrived. I actually reached a status where they would be writing about me thousands of years later. But then here comes his commentary after achieving no, noted greatness. He says, but as I look at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so vaporous. It was all so empty. It, it was never lasting meaning. It was like Chasing the wind. Wow. Now if you say, well, that's Solomon, that's biblical stuff, right? Well, check out Jim Carrey. You know Jim Carrey, the noted actor and comedian, just a mega superstar. Here's what he writes. He actually lived the life of Solomon. Solomon was powerful and rich, and he was able to fulfill his greatest dream. Listen to what Carrey writes. You know? I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of. See, he's writing this because this is exactly what he did. And by the way, this is exactly what Solomon did. And in the process, creating one's own sense of purpose and meaning. But here's his conclusion. Carrie's conclusion writes this. Man, I wish everybody could have the same experience that I had. Become rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamt of so they can see that it's not the answer leaves you asking, is this all there is? Or could there be something more? Wow. So where you start as it relates to the quest for meaning and purpose matters. And let me just say again, a lot of wonderful things have been the byproduct of people inventing and creating purpose for themselves as it relates to life. But the question is, does it materialize into lasting meaning? So one place we can start is with ourselves, guys, as I've just said, and with the world around us to invent and to create purpose and meaning. The other place we can start is with God and God's purposes. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, this is our starting point. Notice I said with God and God's Purposes. Can you say God's purposes? Now, here's Proverbs 16.4. This is an important insight to get because when we start with God and God's purposes, excuse me, let me just give you this insight. When we start with God and God's purposes, it means that we begin a search that ultimately ends up in discovering purpose. But here's the framing of Proverbs 16.4. 
the Lord has made everything for his own purposes. So that means, watch this, that as Jesus followers, when we pursue purpose, what distinguishes us from those who would invent or create their own purpose, when we are pursuing purpose, we're not pursuing our purpose. We're really asking the question, what is God's purpose for our lives? Did you see what the text says? God has made everything for his own purpose. That means that your life, come on now, as it has come into existence, has been made for God's purposes. So the question for you to ask if you would dare believe in God and dare think about being a Jesus follower is, what are God's purposes for my life? This is the question I ended up asking. Listen, as you know, I grew up, I just talked about the trauma and the drama of my childhood. A few weeks ago, I talked about being about 14 to 15 years old, and my grandaunt forced me to get on what was called a mourner's bench at Zion Chapel Baptist Church. It turned out to be a pivotal point in my life because after sitting on that bench, which is the place where people sit if they are serious about confirming the fact that Jesus has, you know, their faith in Jesus, his civific work and love in their lives, they move off that bench and they take the chair. And after sitting on that bench for five days, five nights, I decided to trust Jesus. I left the bench and I sit in the chair. I just told you that most of my growing up years, I would come back to this question, and I believed in God. I believed that Jesus was his son. I believed that he had died on the cross, that he had rose from the dead, and yet I'm still wrestling with this question, but could it be that I'm an accident? When I sat in that seat, and it was as though the, the trap doors of heaven opened and the Spirit of God fell on me and tears flowed out of every, everywhere, and it's like a river. It was in that moment that the love of God for me was crystallized. And it was in that moment, really, that Ephesians 1-4 became my reality. It, it was as though God was saying, listen, Herman, long before I laid the earth's foundation, I had you in mind. <laughs> I had settled on you as a focus of my love. And I know that you've been through a lot of drama. And I know you've been through a lot of trauma. And I know you spent a lot of nights crying. But I just want you to know that you are never detached from my magnificent, unconditional love. I was always there. And the moment you can recognize that, it will lead to your being whole and, and holy, meaning set aside in your own psyche because of my love you. You see, the moment you realize that you are unconditionally and incredibly loved by God, it begins to facilitate a healing. It does not answer all of these questions. I'm going to come back two weeks from now and talk about suffering in God. It did not answer all of the questions for me about why people picked on me and why I got scarred and why I had to go through all. No, 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 no. But it solidified for me that through it all, I was loved. extraordinarily and as I sit in that seat and so it is for you 
This is God's message for you. He's always loved you. I was about 14 years old. Fast forward to 23, 24 years old, and God's purpose overtook me. You see, I'm a preacher. It is at the very heart of, of why I'm on the planet in many ways. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't want to be a preacher. My granduncle was a preacher. <laughs> I was around preacher. I knew the story of preachers and churches. I didn't want to be a preacher. I just wanted to be a nice guy who believed in Jesus, followed Jesus, and I thought I'd either go earn a PhD and in philosophy or go get a law degree and either way end up in politics and that's where I wanted to go but 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 God's purpose overtook me I was at a gas station one day and a, and a young white fellow and the only reason I say a white fellow is because I was in this very segregated area that was defined by black and white right he walked up to me which is very unprecedented in that context and said to me the Lord told me to tell you he's calling you to preach his word he didn't know I had been praying for a week about whether or not this was happening God's purpose overtook me. And I was drafted into this notion. Come on, it's not my purpose. It's his purpose for my life. It was as though I could hear him say what he said to Jeremiah chapter, five, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Son, before I formed you in Joanne Hamilton's womb, your mother, you know what? I knew you. Before you were born at San Francisco General Hospital, don't you know I have set you apart and appointed you? And all of, the, all of the trouble that you went through, all of the pain that you went through, all of those years of rejection that you went through, none of that can change the fact that I have chosen you, I have appointed you, and I have attached my purpose to your life. It was true for me, and it is true for everyone that's listening to me right. God has a purpose for your life. Okay, God, what should I tell them? What should I tell them? I'm, I'm supposed to preach. What should I tell them? Uh, what should I tell them that their purpose is? He says, teach them about purpose, big P. Come on now. The, the, the big P purpose that we all live into. Well, what is that? Well, number one, tell them that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion." All your prayer, and I love this last part, all your intelligence. Love him with all of your questions. Love him with all of your innovation. Love him with all of your creativity. Make him the ultimate object of all of your passions. Love him because he has first loved you. As first John writer declares this, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus Christ gave up his life for us. The ultimate, he has loved us so powerfully. You're called to love him back. You know what this means? He says, Hamilton, tell everybody listening to you that what this means is that I have built into their lives, I have shaped within them, come on now, a need for cosmic relationship. We are shaped for cosmic relationship. I don't care, Mr. Solomon, how many accomplishments you make. At the end of the day, if you make those accomplishments outside of the dimension of being in a cosmic relationship, it will leave you feeling 
meaningless and empty. But oh, Mr. Solomon, come on now. If you understand that you have been shaped to be loved by God and to love God, that means that the gardens that you build and the wealth that you amass and the reputation that you acquire, that you do all of that as an offering to the God that you love. And you position yourself as an instrument for God to work through you. And inside of that, you have a cosmic relationship that etches eternal meaning in your life. Wow. I say, okay, I need to tell everybody that they're shaped for a cosmic relationship and unless they're involved in a, in a love, of, love relationship with the one who loves them eternally, there will always be something missing from their lives, God. And God says, yes. Well, what else do I need to tell them? He said, well, Tell them that Jesus was talking about the two great commandments and tell them that in verse 39, he says that you need to take the second commandment and set it alongside the other one. And it is simply this love others as well as you have loved yourself. What? Yes. Tell the people that they are two dimensional that they are made for a vertical relationship, a cosmic relationship with the one who loves them first, and that they are made for a horizontal relationship, that they are made to love others. And tell them that I didn't put any adjectives, come on now, that, 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 that they are shaped for what I call, come on, communal companionship. That's the mutual love and affection that begins to happen first between you and the people in your house, your family, and it ought to grow between you and the folk up and down your street, your neighbors, come on, and it ought to grow and, and, and encompass a mutual love affection between you and the folk that you work with and you and the folk that you go to school with, this communal companionship, y'all. Come on now. And tell them I didn't put any adjective in front of the others. Come on now. I, I, I said love others. I didn't say others who are black or white or rich or poor or gay or straight. I just said love others. Just keep expanding the others, the others, the others. You don't have to agree with their politics. You don't have to agree with their lifestyle choices. But I said love others others. Come on now, because the more you love God, I'm talking about meaning, the more humane you become. And the more humane you become, the more empathetic, come on, the more concerned, the more connected, the more, uh, uh, how might I say, humane you become to others. So love them. Tell them, Herman, love them. Say, love so much until the hopeless will find a light of hope in your living. Love so much until the hateful are transformed from enemies into brothers and sisters. Love so much until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Tell them to love others just like they love themselves and they will discover lasting meaning. You have to have both dimensions, cosmic and communal companionship. One more thing, Hamilton. 210, tell them this. You see, tell them that we all God's handiwork. 
I was looking at this passage the other day and it really moved me because the word handiwork means masterpiece. And it was almost as though I could hear God say to me, son, you didn't realize it. When you were growing up scarred and disfigured, when life was horrible and when you were afraid to go to school because of the bullies that would be waiting on you, you didn't know. But you've always been my masterpiece. And I've always been in your life shaping you and nurturing you with my love. And now I have positioned you and prepared you, come on now, to, 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 to live out, to be the preacher. Come on, to not just preach, but your life is the message. Your life, Hermit, is the message that everybody who's listening to you, despite the trauma and the trials and the challenges of life, they have been born to be my masterpieces. To do the good works that I had prepared for them before the beginning of time. Can you say good works? You know what good works entails, don't you? Good works entails, good works entails Live a life of love. Live a life that works for justice. Live a life that seeks to facilitate peace. Embedded in all of the various projects that defines your day-to-day -day activity. Oh, let the works that you do be a love offering to your God. And let them position you to be of service to others. And there is meaning. Let me summarize it like this. I, 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 I stole this from my friend, um, Pastor Renee Sliffler. I've tweaked it a little bit. You want to know what your purpose, big P, is? It's simply this. Just remember these four words. Love God. Love people. God works. Good works. And good news. Say it again. Love God. Say it with me. Love people. Good works. And good news. You know what the good news is? That I've put my faith in Jesus who died for my sins on Calvary, on, Romans, on a Roman cross. And that means that in his death, he paid the price and set me free that no longer should guilt or shame drive my life and drive my decisions. And no longer should the fear of death or the fear of anything else drive my life because he conquered death in his resurrection. And he promises a life on the other side of death. Come on now, where my deepest longings will be fulfilled. And that inspires me to do the best I can to work to make this place. Come on, all all that God would have it to be as we move from time to eternity. That's good news, y'all. Come on. And the good news will, con will, 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 will center and focus you no matter what. All right. So here it is. You can do big P purpose no matter what your context is. You can love God, love people, do good works. Come on now. And live out of the context of the confidence of the good news of the gospel. Wherever you are, you can be in a hospital and you can do that purpose. Love God, love people, do good works. Come on now, as you care and bless and be a blessing to the folk who are caring for you and live out of the confidence of the good news. You can do that as a single parent uh, working in the invisibility of your home, trying to take care of your kids, wash dishes. Come on now, trying to go to work. Doesn't look like nobody's paying you no attention, but you are loving God, you're loving people, you're doing the, the, the good works and the good deeds. Come on now, and you're living out of the comfort 
confidence of your gospel and your life has everlasting meaning. You can do that. Come on now. As an executive leader leading your corporation, you can do that as a cashier working behind a McDonald's table. You can do that as either students or an educator in a classroom. Whatever setting you're in, you can love God and love people and do good works out of the context and confidence of the good news that come in Jesus. You know what we call that? We call that inherent meaning, that the meaning has always been there, but you had to discover it. You had to see it. It had to be revealed to you through the love of a God who reveals himself through Jesus Christ. Can you say inherent meaning? That meaning is doable, durable. It's not fleeting. It's not transit. It's solid. It's solid. It's eternal. And you know, at the end of the book, Solomon comes to this reality. He trades in trying to invent purpose for the purpose that he discovered. Come on, in God. And here's what he says. And after all this, there's only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands. And you know what they are now. Love the Lord thy God <laughs> with all of your passion, your prayers, and your intellect. And love others like yourself. And do good works. And live in the confidence of the gospel. Oh, here's what he says. <laughs> Have reverence for God and obey his commands. Because this is all that we were created There's your purpose. There's our meaning. Can you say amen? Now, I know somebody's asking this question. Pastor Herman, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. But listen, that second point rested upon the premise that there is a God. How do you know there is a God? I love the way you ask your questions. That's next week. I'll see you next week. Amen.